Our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Amen. Good morning and, and welcome to worship. Today is the final Sunday in the Christian church year, a Sunday that we designate Christ the King Sunday. We end the church year on the high note of exaltation and praise to our Lord Jesus Christ, who reigns over all. Today we'll be comforted with that knowledge that he is Christ our King. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Amen. On this Christ the King Sunday, I invite your attention to the words of the Old Testament prophet Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel writes, I kept watching the night visions, and there in the clouds of heaven I saw one like a son of man coming. He came to the Ancient of Days, and he was brought before him. To him was given dominion, honor, and a kingdom. All peoples, nations, and languages will worship him. His dominion is an eternal dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. The word of the Lord. In the name of him who is the king of love, Christ our king, dear friends. So what did you dream about last night? Do you even remember your dream? Was it one of those really vivid, really wild dreams? Was it one that you can't possibly shake out of your head, the kind that, that make you wonder when you wake up, now what in all the world was that all about? I pray it wasn't a nightmare. Maybe you've had a recurring nightmare of someone who is chasing you and you're desperately trying to get away. Did you dream that church was starting and everyone was growing impatient, but no matter what you tried, you simply couldn't make your way to the pulpit to start the sermon? I've had that dream more than a couple of times. One night, about 25 or 2,600 years ago, the prophet Daniel had a dream, a vision, that he would never forget. His vision was not the product of an overly active imagination. His vision was not due to the fact of anything that he had eaten the day before. Daniel's dream came from the Lord, and he writes about this dream in the opening verses of this same chapter of our text, Daniel chapter 7. In his dream, in his vision, Daniel saw four particular beasts that came rising up out of a very turbulent sea. The first beast, he said, was like a lion but it had the wings of an eagle. And its wings were eventually torn off, and then it stood up on two feet like a man and received a human mind. Okay, the second dream, he saw a beast that looked like a bear. It was raised up, he said, on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth that it had just ripped from its prey. The third beast, he said, looked like a leopard, except that it had four heads and four wings on its back, and then it was given authority to rule. 
The fourth beast is one that Daniel described as terrifying and frightening and very strong. It had bronze claws and iron teeth that it used to devour its victim and ten horns. That's a dream. What did it mean? Well, each of these dreams was depicting different world powers that would, in the coming centuries, rise up and dominate for a while and then go away. It's generally accepted that the first beast was the Babylonian Empire. The second beast represented the the Medo-Persian Empire. The third beast, the Greek Empire. And the fourth beast, the Roman Empire. And again, each world power would rise up and dominate in the world for a time and then be overthrown by the next world power. In fact, that last beast with ten horns, Daniel saw that it it grew a little horn among those horns, and that horn had eyes and a mouth. And the mouth spoke boastfully, spewing the lies of the Antichrist, and then suddenly that fourth beast was destroyed and thrown into the fire. Now that's a dream. You know what Daniel saw next? He saw a guy one like a son of man, a man, a person. What kind of message is that going to bring on the the heels of these four strong beasts that Daniel sees? What's so great about this one like a son of man? Well, Daniel goes on. He says that this one, like a son of man, came to the ancient of days, that's God the Father, And he was brought before him. To him was given dominion, honor, and a kingdom. All peoples, nations, and languages will worship him. His dominion is an eternal dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Wow, one like a son of man who comes down from heaven, who has direct access to the Father, who looks like a man but is worshipped as God, who has authority over all things, who who has dominion in an everlasting kingdom, well, you're connecting the dots, right? This is no mere man. This is the Lord Jesus Christ who referred to him often in the, himself often in the Gospels as the Son of Man. He is the Son of God. He is Christ, the King. He is Christ, your King. And he is the King of Kings. And there's a couple things about Christ the King that Daniel wants us to understand this morning by means of that vision. And here's the first thing, that Christ the King is a king with all power. Now, to help this make even more sense to you, it's it's necessary that you keep in mind the context under which Daniel received this vision. Daniel was a Jew who was living with the rest of the Jews off in exile during the Babylonian captivity. The Babylonians had swept in, had conquered Jerusalem, and had carried off a number of Jews into the foreign land of of Babylon and settled them there. And at the time of this vision, Daniel and his fellow Jews had been in exile there in Babylon, about 900 miles from home, for more than 50 years. Now, what would be running through your mind as a believer in the Lord after 50 years, 900 miles, living in captivity? Would it not seem to you as though the Lord had given up on you? 
Might it seem to you that the Lord had forgotten you, that he was through with you? None of that was the case, and so God gave them this vision of what the future held. What would happen? Well, the Lord didn't sugarcoat things, did he? In the coming centuries, like scary beasts, one world power after another would rise up and dominate for a time and then be destroyed. And all the while, that little horn with eyes and a mouth would speak boastfully, spewing out false teachings and leading souls astray. So the coming centuries were not going to be easy. There was no reason for overconfidence, but there was no reason for despair either. Because in the end, when the dust would settle and every earthly power would come to nothing, in the end, there stands one glorious, victorious king, and he is Christ the king, our king. When Daniel saw the kingdom of glory being ushered in and established forever on Judgment Day, it sounded a note of assurance and comfort for the people of God. He hands the kingdom over to his son, the father does, and Christ the king is the one who rules with all power. On the last day, Jesus triumphantly hands that kingdom back. Christ the king is our powerful king. I know he doesn't, he doesn't always look that powerful as you read about him in the pages of the Gospels. I mean, you don't have to look any further than to Pilate's praetorium as we heard earlier in our gospel reading to see evidence of that. There throughout the night, it looked like Pontius Pilate was the one who was calling all the shots, and Jesus is there. He, he's beaten, he's bloodied, he's bullied. And, and the Roman soldiers couldn't resist the sinful urge to taunt him. They shoved a, a, a staff in his hand, put a crown of thorns on his head, draped him in a scarlet robe, and mocked him by saying, Hail, King of the Jews! The next morning, he's nailed to a cross like a common criminal, suspended on that cross one dark Friday afternoon until finally he breathes his last. Don't be fooled. Right? That one on the cross is Christ the King. He set aside the full and constant use of his divine power and glory as the Son of God and became also for us true man, the Son of Man. He did that to step in and take your place as your substitute for every single time that you have revolted against his kingship and rebelled against his will and rejected his kingly love. He did that for every single one of those times that you surged forward into some sin with reckless abandon. He allowed those nails to be driven into his hands and his feet to entrust himself into the care of his heavenly father all the way to the grave and back to pay for every time that we haven't trusted our Lord and instead have grown sick with worry when we should have placed things into his perfect, capable, loving, nail-scarred hands. He did that for every time that we refused to take his encouragement in the word. Do not be afraid. Your king, Jesus, took that cross, that, that symbol of weakness and death and defeat, and he used it as the most powerful weapon that ever was, and he crushed Satan's power over you. 
And he robbed that old evil foe of any kind of claim that he had on you. And he reconciled you forever to the Lord your God so that you could live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Don't be fooled. Christ the King has unlimited power. From our vantage point, that power may seem rather hidden at times. Sometimes in this world it seems like sin and Satan and immorality and ungodliness are ruling the day. But please, stop and think about his power. His power comes from some words on a page in this precious book we call the Bible. And by means of the gospel spelled out so wonderfully here in the word, he powerfully quiets that not-so-little boastful horn of false teaching. I mean, when we want to start thinking that our salvation depends on what we do for God, that we can be saved by our works, along comes this powerful gospel and changes our heart and changes our mind so that we are saved by what Christ has done for us by grace through faith in him. Power. Because when we were born into this world, spiritually dead, the enemies of God, blind to any spiritual truth, the Lord came to us in some simple water connected with a word and powerfully adopted us to be his own, washed away our sins and made us his children. Power, when, when we are crushed with sin and guilt, when the iron teeth of our sinfulness threatened to chew us up and spit us out, he comes to us in the word and in the sacrament and brings us what we need most, forgiveness for our sins. Power. Even destroyed death for us. Christ the King rules with unlimited power, and so as you watch the evening news and see all the hatred and the chaos and the bickering and the crime and the terrorists and the bloodshed and the catastrophes, and Satan wants you to start shaking in your boots, then remember this vision. The world's powers come and go. The rulers of the earth huff and blow. Satan scowls, terrorists terrorize, but Christ the King rules over all. His kingdom has no borders. His kingdom is over people of every nation, tribe, and language. Christ the King lives in the presence of the ancient of days. He died for our sins but rose again, and Christ is alive forever and ever, and he assures you here today that he's been given dominion, honor, and a kingdom, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. And all these years later, that has not changed one bit. In ways that we may not always see or fully appreciate, the fact is, Christ our King is ruling over all for the good of the church for us. He hasn't taken his eye off of you. He hasn't taken his hand off the steering wheel of the universe for even a moment. And he never will. Christ the king is a king with all power, and Daniel also wants us to understand he is a king who rules forever. The king of kings rules. He wants you to understand from this text that Jesus is a king like no other. He, he doesn't serve his term and then head off into retirement. 
He doesn't get overthrown by the next powerful worldly empire that comes rolling along. He doesn't grow weak and then die of old age or have his reign come to an end thanks to some assassination. No, the last sentence of our text says his dominion is an eternal dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. <coughs> Pardon me. King Jesus rules forever and ever. This time of year as we watch how the leaves fall from the trees and they're raked up and disposed of, we're reminded that all good things come to an end. Another Thanksgiving day has come and gone. Today we find ourselves observing the final Sunday in the Christian church year. All good things come to an end. But not this good thing. Christ the King rules forever. His kingdom never ends. Get rid of any hopelessness you feel this morning and do away with any pessimism. We have reason to rejoice, to worship, to trust, to serve. Jesus is still in the heavens. He's still king over all. He's still ruling all things for our good and he will forever be. That was quite a dream that Daniel had, huh? Listen, please understand that this idea of living forever in a place where nothing ever goes wrong, where you never have a sinful thought, never speak a sinful word, never do anything wrong or unloving. This idea of living forever in a perfect and glorious paradise that will never ever come to an end, that's not a dream, that's our reality in Christ. What a blessing, what a, what a privilege, what a dream come true to be able to live under him now in his kingdom and to serve him with our lives as our grateful response for all that King Jesus has done. And, and what a joy and a blessing and a privilege to be able to look forward to that day when we are brought into his presence to live with Christ through endless ages. Christ our King, amen. Amen.